Hello, you're listening to Talking About Organizations, a podcast about management and organization studies brought to you with the support of the University of Sussex Business School. This is episode 48, where we discuss Shakes and Stamps 1995 text, Level and Type of Capability in Relation to Executive Organization, or Stratified Systems Theory, as we call it. To get the text and for more information, please visit our website at www.talkingaboutorganizations.com. This is Ralph calling from the high altitudes of Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is Tom calling from Carlisle, Pennsylvania in the United States. My name is Dmitris coming to you from Riga, Latvia. Hello, this is Pedro coming to you from Lyon in France. Okay, uh, so today uh, is not so much about a a reading per se, but the theory that contributed to it. Um, today's uh, reading is a research paper that was done by Elliot Jakes and Jillian Stamp for the out of the Army Research Institute, and the centerpiece of the paper was uh, Elliot Jakes's uh, stratified systems theory. To kind of take a step back, and when we think about organizations and how they are structured and organized. Of course, we intuitively know that there's a environmental skills and knowledge differences at, uh, at various levels within organizations. I can just summarize for present purposes is like the individual direct supervision and the uh, management levels. And the idea is that if you can capture the skill requirements that are needed at different levels, then ideally you would be able to build individual or leader development plans, especially in organizations where you have to grow from within, uh, where basically the majority of your management is promoted from the ranks. And so the idea of uh, stratified systems theory was to try to come up with a general purpose model of how different layers, vertical layers, I should stress, uh, this it's largely vertically, Uh, how different layers of leadership equate to different perspectives, different skill and knowledge requirements, and um, and in and in particular in this this theory, uh, stratified systems theory, different time horizons. What they call a time span, which is that a decision with a time span of a year would be. Management makes a decision and the effects of implementing and achieving the, the desired effects of the decision would be a year. So then one of the things about stratified systems theory that uh, was how I became introduced to it some 20 years ago was this uh, – and I almost call it a meme. Uh, there was this meme that was out there at the time that said that, okay, organizations need or organizations should be limited to – Seven layers, seven vertical layers, echelons, uh, you know, different uh, – there's all sorts of different terms different organizations use with the idea being that as you move up your time horizon, the time span of your decisions should increase, your skills should change to be much more broad, much more uh, varied uh, to the point where if you're the person standing – you know, sitting at the top of the organization, you have the longest time span. Now, the paper that we have provides both a very, very, very brief introduction to stratified systems theory as Elliot Jakes uh, presents it, 
uh, in which he shows where this number seven comes from, seven strata of layers of organization. But it also talks about how a organization might use the theory to try to figure out how it how it develops leaders such that if they are at if they have succeeded at a particular level of the organization and they're going to get moved up to another level of the organization say from direct supervision to more of a organizational leadership role a, a junior manager shall we say what skills are required what are the aptitudes the knowledge that need to be developed within the individual in order to be able to join that higher level or achieve to that higher level and succeed. And uh, it, there's there's a lot to talk about in this uh, because this strikes me and it struck me, um, you know, the, the first time I saw this paper that uh, it's, it's in essence, it's a theory that is trying to build a relationship between leader development at the individual level and organizational design. How do you structure an organization so that it aligns with conceptions of these layers, what, what is appropriate at which layer, and therefore provide, say, the spaces that people could fill as they develop, grow, and are promoted through the system? I have a couple observations about that. I think that was a very good summary, Tom. Extra thing I would add to this this part about developing leaders, and I think it was implied in what you were saying, the other aspect of stratified systems theory, in addition to organizational design and development, is also identifying those people with high potential. They do make some references early in the paper that people develop at different rates and some people top out differently than others. And so they there isn't this idea that Everybody could be the chief executive officer of McDonald's or the head of the Army or Navy. The, the idea is that some people will be at different levels at different times in their career and will grow differently. And there's this, I, there's this part of the work that addresses that individual capability and the fact that it's distinct. And I think the, that, that part runs counter to some of our, the more current egalitarian notions of, of development and that's something organizations are always dealing with when they talk about identifying high potential because that sounds a lot to some people in the organization, maybe everybody, that you're going to basically identify people who are not fast trackers and they won't get the same developmental opportunities or you've, you're selecting people early in the career and saying they have no chance to, to move up in the organization. That's, kind of, that's what people tend to hear, and maybe it can be practiced that way, but you, you may recall the controversy and strong emotional responses when General Electric created a performance appraisal system that required you to group people at the, at a, at, along a curve. And some people had to be put, you had, there was a you know, quota or you can say it whatever way you want for certain people had to be put in the needs more work or needs more developmental assistance or something. And then if they stayed in that category for too long or for a certain period of time, they would be invited to leave the organization and that was causing people to pull their hair out. Oh yeah, and uh, and this does really you know, the general ex general electric example is a good one to talk about a just the general challenges that uh, we have with uh, trying to take what is a a theory and try to put it directly into practice. Um, and I think that uh, stratified systems theory, some of you know, we we may get into this uh, in later on. Is uh, it was 
it was uh, kind of tailor made to be a you know to be put into practical use but that still there are limits to how you can use it and and still retain fairness and equity and some of the other qualities we look in in human resources i just would also mention that uh, you know this theory came around at a time when a number of the uh, individual learning theories were also being developed i'm thinking uh, kagan and uh, some some of those and a lot of those uh, theories had uh, developmental theories had similar stratifications or ideas of stratification that people had different abilities or that could develop at different rates and so there's i, I think Part of this particular report was informed by a lot of the work that was going on in the 1980s and early 1990s that that uh, was trying to put this idea of leader development and organizational design together. Well, the Stratford Systems Theory by Jacques, um, it sort of grew out of World War II and his work with the uh, Canadian military. And I believe that the U.S. military, Army specifically, is, I think, the biggest ever adopter of this uh, framework uh, for many reasons that you mentioned. Now, let's outline what what are the uh, systems that are stratified, what are the seven uh, um, strata, and what are the five kind of um, horizontal levels within those, so that uh, we, we get a bit of an overview of what we're talking about here. So basically, as Tom mentioned, the organization, a bureaucratic organization in Jacques's view, uh, consists of seven levels of work, which are designated by the uh, time spans of decision making. Uh, each level of work is allocated a certain time span um, where decisions that are taken on this level should result in some outcomes. And that goes from three months to a year to two years to five years to 10 years and to 20 years at the seventh level of work. Essentially, the individual managing each of these levels should be able to make decisions with this time span in mind. Now, each of these levels, each of the strata is further subdivided into, um, I believe, five um, levels of capability. So, uh, an individual essentially can perform each of the strata in five different ways, which will determine um, their behavior at work. And the purpose of the theory is to identify individuals within the organization who best fit within each of these levels so that uh, the organization can develop them and put them there. Well, the stratum that the strata that Jakes describes, it, it, according to the levels of work, go from one to five. So stratum one is perceptual concrete, and that's three months or less time span capacity, and I call that basically working on what's right in front of you. Stratum two is imaginal concrete, which is a three months or maybe a little bit more. You can work with imagined objects and certainly manage the stratum below, and that's common to all the stratums. You can manage the stratums below. Stratum three is conceptual concrete, which is a time capacity, time span capacity greater than a year. This means you can predict future work and prepare for it, and you have an imaginal picture of work embedded in your concrete perception of the task as it exists. Stratum four is abstract modeling with a time span capacity greater than two years. 
Stratum 5 is theory construction, and at this level, a person only needs one contact with the work and able to understand what's going on and create a theory based on that. Right, and uh, essentially the um, Stratford Systems Theory is is basically a model of um, uh, of a particular bureaucratic organization that uh, is representing a one-best way to do organizational design. And it's really fascinating in a number of cases, um, especially that, as you might not know, but Jacques, Jake's, is the same dude who developed the concept of uh, midlife crisis. Oh, no so, kidding. Um, he, no, oh, he did no, not that. I, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, I heard the name. The I didn't realize it was the same uh, guy. So yeah, so he, he's the one who I have yeah, to so play. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so SSD is not his biggest achievement, unfortunately. <laughs> not, not probably the most famous one. But uh, he conducted with his colleagues a series of um, action research studies uh, focusing on the cognitive frames of individuals and managers, and that's uh, how they came up with the, the time span of discretion uh, stuff that we'll go into and, and these levels at all. Um, important part there, and Ralph alluded to this, is that these levels, the seven levels of the of the stratus, they are not um, normatively hierarchical. So that's... Um, a um, a key point in this organizational design that is unfortunately difficult to um, to reconcile with how we think of organizations generally. He definitely wasn't clear about that in the text. Yeah, so the idea is that the higher strata doesn't mean a better strata or somehow more prestigious strata. So the, the whole concept here is that you find people and you place them in positions where they excel the most. Now, unfortunately, if someone excels the most on the strata number one, it's difficult to uh, persuade them that their work and contribution is just as valuable as someone who excels at strata number seven. And that's one of the kind of uh, critiques of this of this uh, theory. Um, another one is that it's very management-focused. So it doesn't really account for other actors other than managers within this organizational design or or other actors other other than leaders um so really interesting stuff definitely applied in practice still i i came across it while doing my master's research actually and uh, the way i came across it was that the management consultancy that i was studying was applying this uh, particular framework to um safety simulations uh, in um, mineral extraction industries. So they were definitely using it in very applied ways. But equally, it has quite a lot of uh, limitations and it has been critiqued heavily within academia, actually shunned largely from academia. So I am um, guess I'm ambivalent about it, but very excited as this, uh, much like with NEO, uh, has been something of a gateway drug to kind of more <laughs> organization theory for me as well. How about, how about a gateway theory? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to rewind a bit of what Dimitri said regarding the potential richness of the theory that is hard to grasp at first, which is that the different strata are not necessarily um, plotted against a typical organizational hierarchy. Because it was interesting, when I was reading that, maybe because this is a very 
I mean, because it is, uh, Texas was written with the military, um, case study kind of you no know, on the bone or on the backbone of the text. And the terms that are used as well and the kind of visualizations that are used maybe me think of that. So I'm actually wondering if it is in the, if he says that in the text or not, or even if he does, the way that is presented, it was hard to grasp that. But it would also be that we are so accustomed to think of organizations a certain way and to think of the position of people and, you know, think of things hierarchically, so to speak, that it's hard to glimpse at that um, nugget, so to speak, of, um, of, um, this nugget of insight that he has. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things that even back in the nineties, there was a little bit of a struggle. And, uh, and, and that's because, yes, it is true that, say, militaries are deeply hierarchical. They're designed that way for a purpose. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the alignment of time horizon or the time span, as they define it here, and the decision um, is aligned with is aligned at echelon you know one of the things that i find interesting and of course it's not in this particular reading it's across a number of readings is that if you look at the uh the charts on towards the end of this uh, paper i believe it was page 48 where they align you know they present a view of say strata one is equivalent to this level of organization uh, a level of military organization from company to battalion to brigade, etc. Um, that doesn't actually work in practice. Um, units generally don't have that much of a difference in time span in terms of how they operate day to day. And in many cases, their decisions that they make may not follow those time spans. No, in fact, they go up and down. That's what I've noticed. You, you know, you'll be mm-hmm. at a certain level and maybe most of your decisions are at the three-month level, but you, you're going up and down all the time in the levels of work area and, the, and your time horizon. So, so what I want to do is, is kind of almost step back a little bit from the particular presentation. And this, this presentation of stratified systems theory is very common among the articles that were written about it at the time. They used similar differentiations of time spans, Instead, I think the underlying question that it was trying to answer, I think it's still relevant for today, um, you, you, despite the, you know, and, and Demetrius is absolutely correct. That was a criticism I was familiar with uh, before about how the theory was really focused on the managers. And yet most of uh, military organizations, and I would say, you know, a lar- just about any large organization has all of these other peripheral structures that are kind of outside of the immediate, you know, direct supervisory links that perform particular functions or, or, or other things that they don't exactly fit into this particular theory, but somehow they do fit. The idea that there are skills, knowledge, attitudes, ethics – qualities and capacities that differentiate that are important between, say, individuals within the organization and and then the different levels of leadership, however any organization defines it. Can I ask a clarification question that is kind of tangential? This idea sure. of the time span, um, I found it a bit hard to really um, understand it correctly because it was 
Sometimes it looks like we are talking about the time span of the work, like almost activity, although I have to admit again, it, the focus is not really on the work to be carried out, so maybe it's not really there. Whether it's about the decision, as we were mentioning before, what does the time span stand for specifically? Okay, uh, it's they actually in very early in the paper are clear to differentiate uh, two terms: time span and time frame, uh, which I think is is important and useful. So, time span they they define as a dimension that basically figures the impact of a decision. Uh, so if your right. time span it's is... It's actually the task. Yeah. It's task-focused, right? So what they say is uh, it's, easy, it's easily measured and it's the longest task in each level. That's what they're talking about. So, so Pedro, in your answer to your question, what, uh, what Tom, I think, was going to say was time span is focused on the nature of the work, not the individual. Yeah, and then time frame is basically an individual context. So the time frame of an individual's action probably doesn't align with the time span associated with a strata. Uh, so if you have, if you make a decision at a certain strata that, you know, in your, and your time span is six months, it may, you know, achievement of a decision over six months is probably going to involve a lot of individual actions that, Folks at lower strata take uh, take part of and um, and so that's how they differentiate time span and time frame and so they wanted to focus on time span because if we're talking about developing and we're talking about designing an organization and figuring out where pieces uh, where people would best fit according to their capacity the time span is really the measure of of merit uh, at least according to the way that stratified systems theory was originally built. Right. The only thing I would add to that, Tom, is that the they also talk about time frame being the individual construct. And it gets a little confusing because they overlap the definitions and they actually use time span in the time frame definition. And I think one of the key concepts at the individual level, the time frame, it's basically what you, the, the kinds of tasks, the duration or the time span of tasks you can affect appropriately handled. It's very subjective. And they say that, and this is one of the key assumptions of stratified systems theory based on the data that Jake's and others collected, was that it changes over time, but at what they refer to as broadly predictable rates. And that gets in the personal development aspect that Tom had alluded to earlier. Right. And uh, and work is essentially an application of time frame to a time span. That's kind of the, the different definition. Yes. Um, to to what we would normally think, so it's a bit uh, it's a bit different, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think interesting nonetheless. I think one of the key parts here is uh, on page three where they define what capability is, because uh, a lot of stratified systems theories um, focused around capabilities of individuals uh, to exercise they, their time frame um, within the time span of their work. And they say that the stratified systems theory's concept of capability assumes that people bring their world into being through their own creative acts. They thus have the potential to create their own development through interaction with their environment. And then that an individual's capability is expressed in the way he or she patterns the orders and and orders experienced through time. So... Um, yeah, and then capability therefore defines the extent and complexity of the context within which an individual can operate. 
So this is a very individual-centric view of the world where um, one of the key parts is that uh, individuals enact their world. So it's a very Heideggerian kind of phenomenological uh, take there. Right. And, right, and, constructivist. Yeah. yeah, well, even even beyond that, it's uh, it's very much yeah. uh, an applicationist. So it's a it's a proto practice theory. Um, and the other one is that uh, individuals pattern their experiences through time, which is something rather, I think, surprising to find in such a, a rigid theory as SST, because that uh, gives individuals some kind of control over the synchronicity of time. Um, and allows them to order their experiences chronologically or anachronistically. So um, the levels of capability and the capabilities that individuals have seem to be residing strongly within individuals. So then the stratified systems become extensions of individuals and depend on how they enact work. And remember, enactment of work is application of time frame on the time span. So can I expand on that, on this individualistic idea? And then I'm going to get into a bit of my, not critique, but more like, um, yeah, maybe really a critique. Um, so I read it a bit differently, but I agree with this idea of the individualistic centered nature of the theory. And in some situations, almost feel a bit cognitive, but not really. And what bothers me is that I understand that, of course, different theories offers different slices of reality. But at the same time, and I return to my previous question, he wants to talk about tasks, and that leads us into the domain of work. And I understand that the theory seems interesting because it's bringing something that could be described in a more HR domain and trying to plot that within an organization, but to never really see the operation of the organization. So that's what complicates the thing. And... I think that's individualistic, not only on the sense that you are describing more philosophical of the enactment of the person, but also of the nature of work to be done. You know, there is little space given to the interdependencies of the work, to the very nature in which the tasks are designed. You know, there's a lot of emphasis exactly on the capability of the nature of the person, but not what the content is put in place for the person. So it seems that maybe I'm reading it wrong. But even what one which is trying to accomplish, it seems that it's a bit moving in all different directions. No, you're right. There's no no space in this theory for behavior, almost at all. But uh, the yes, yeah, yes, the, I thought that was lacking. Very individualistic from an interpretive point of view. But as you said, Demetrius, not a behavior. Uh, point. They don't have a mechanism for measuring behavior uh, that is detached from cognition. And if you measure cognition, you don't really need to measure behavior, at least within the framework of this theory. Right, right. So so one of the things that struck me, Pedro, along the lines of your, that's a great observation that you made, was that you get later in the text, and they talk about this assessment technique, which is basically is based on self-revelation and personal analysis, and then these card sorting tasks that they do. And I'm thinking... I was reading, I was thinking, well, well, a person could be really great at stuff like that, but terrible to work for because it doesn't treat people well. <laughs> and so I'm, so I'm thinking, and, and I've worked for people like that are really smart, great problem solvers, but they're just crazy hard to work for. And I was thinking, you're, you're just leaving all that stuff out, this, this idea about the interpersonal aspects, as well as what you said, the interdependencies of work, where social skills and social relations become really important. Yes. And so I'm going to plug another of my um, readings with a critical edge you know, of this text. Um, 
I mean, uh, I'll talk about what I appreciate later, maybe, um, is that a lot of emphasis, almost like the assumption seems to be that abstraction can be better. I mean, that the real work is at the abstraction level. Um, that at least was my reading, maybe I'm wrong. And it's exactly what you are talking about on, on the illustration about the assessment that they have, which exactly emphasize how the problem solving would take place in an abstract level. It's very much about this like cognitions capacity of the people. But one could argue that a very important um, skill to ex- in organizations and beyond is exactly the opposite, is the ability of being relational, understanding context. And we can think of Mary Parker Follett and a number of different kinds of theories. And in a way, this is exactly, and again, so I'm going to go back to what um, Tom was saying at the beginning on how this kind of mirrors some of the individual learning theories. I'm not an expert in psychology or social psychology, but I remember there is some of the studies that relate to this idea of individual development and morality and how people have different levels of morality. And a lot of that, I have to Google later the name and plug this in the podcast, but it is, there's this idea that the abstraction, the highest form of development for a human being, you know, so the most moral person is the one that can calculate and deliberate about moral norms at the abstract level. And the feminists have done a very good kind of critique to that to say, well, that's one perspective, but we can imagine a word or imagine um, a system or imagine a situation in which the opposite could be true. In the ability to read the context, be relational, is what is really important and could be should be valued. So that's my feminist critique of the idea. Okay, I, I'd like to, um, I, I would like to say that perhaps uh, even though most of the texts on stratified systems theory lacked this anyway, there's a lot, I believe, that gets assumed into the reading based on military organization. Because when you look at the um, at, at the ta- uh, the table on page three, where it identifies a a strata with a level of work with a echelon of a military organization, and you situate yourself back in the um, in the days of which this was written, which was much more of a conventional war type of a time frame, you could probably see a, a parallel, not necessarily a direct analog, but a parallel, because the task of a corps is subdivided into tasks of divisions of which, let's say, if you are on a large-scale battlefield, think Cold War, think Central Europe, Think where I really wish I could be right now because it's Oktoberfest time, I believe. Absolutely, pretty close. Absolutely, drinking a beer um, from a boot. <laughs> exactly. So there you are. You're conquering Munich, and you have a core that has, you know, several kilometers wide, and then you have divisions that are going. You're basically dividing up the battlefield into paths in which subordinate units are going to go. Okay, and and so there is a. Uh, it's it, time span is like a measure, but also time and distance, and so you sort of can see how this method of stratification can be appealing for a military person who thinks in terms of I take this big task and I can subdivide it into very specific lines of effort, and further subdivide and further subdivide, to which the the subdivisions reduce span uh, the the time spans they reduce the divisions of or the uh, 
the space in which you must cover in order to achieve objectives. And the other thing that I think, you know, you've all been mentioning, and it's, 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 it's absolutely correct, is that assumed in this are all of the coordinating mechanisms that allow the entire core to act as one as it moves in the battlefield. So then when it comes to taking SST and applying it into different types of organizations where the division of labor is not so clean or like we were talking about before where your peripheral activities, all of these other um, these other action, uh, departments or divisions or working groups that are not within the direct hierarchical chain of command, if you will, uh, those sorts of operations are just they're, – they're not accounted for adequately because they don't fit into that very specific paradigm. So, so anyway, that's, that's why I think that there's, there is a lot of uh, friendliness in the, mil, you know, in the military context uh, towards it, say, at the time in which this was written. I don't think that's that much of, a, of an issue when applying to kind of more commercial organizations because that's where I came across this theory at. Um, in a in an organization that is in many ways structured opposites to a traditional military organization, so think of knowledge intensive project based company distributed across the world with a kind of a, almost an academic level of silo distribution based around individuals and they um they managed it and they managed it because the strata they don't mean that you have to slot individuals into each of these in order for the organization to work. They just mean that these are the kind of the optimal, tailoristic, one best way places for them to be. So a person who is best suited for strata number five, for example, will do just fine in four, three, or even six. They're just not going to be great at it. They're not going to uh, excel in their... Uh, decision making but it doesn't mean that the organization will be dysfunctional so you can overlay this rather liberally across a whole range of different organizations and organizational structures but it is as as you pointed out Tom, designed specifically for a rather tall bureaucratic organization doesn't mean though that it will not work anywhere else yeah so I mean, I played um, the role of the super critic, but I also want to acknowledge some of the things I really find interesting. And and I think go at what we're discussing here and what I mentioned before is that although there is this very individualistic emphasis and although there seems to be a premium on the development that individuals have of this abstraction capacity, in many points, it seems that the authors are actually hinting on different things that are important in organizations. And go on what a bit of Tom was saying about the mechanisms, because towards more towards the end of the text, when they talk about, um, they don't really use the word empowerment, but it's more about commitment and um, the kind of leaders that are ideal in certain situations, what is expected from the leaders and so on and so forth. They have an interesting um, and very timely and contemporary discussion on how getting commitment from the people, getting them to go beyond just what is contractually required from them, what we today would talk about in light of what we know from human relations and so on as enrichment, empowering, enabling structures. They talk about the importance of structures such as hierarchy, having planning, um, and 
almost respecting and having in place very strong, clear structures, but also a number of mechanisms which are somewhat informal, somewhat formalized, that go to tap into issues of mentoring opportunities, creating social events, creating informal opportunities for people to get together, creating and developing a form of ethos and professional ethos within the organization, nurturing social ties, and so on and so forth, creating a sense of common goal, which are all things, and I return to what I was saying before, have less to do with abstraction, but exactly on building relations, thinking relationally, thinking about the contest, enabling people to think about the situation and act together, develop spirits the corpse, and so on and so forth. So, just to say that even within the theory, although there seems to see... I mean, there seems to be this thing about the abstraction and individual um, analysis at the foreground. There is also a lot of stratified systems theory is an opportunity to examine individual development in the context of organizational structure. Both Demetrius and Tom talked about that, how it's been used, and and I, I thought Demetrius had a really great point about it being the one best way of organizational design based on that understanding of individual development. And then the authors say at near the end of the of the part two, where they talk about applications, that a specific objective of theirs was testing the possible application in the military of a technique for assessing current and potential capability. But as Demetrius noted, it's it's not really exclusive to the military, but that's where they tested. And that's all for part one of episode forty-eight. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and found it valuable. If so, Please tell your friends, colleagues, and students who may be interested in these topics about the podcast. You can also give us feedback, which we love to receive, via Twitter, Facebook, or our website, which is where you can subscribe to our newsletter. Please join us next time as we continue discussing Jake's and Stamp's 1995 text on stratified systems theory here on Talking About Organizations.